The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. We're going to be hearing scripture today uh, from Alexis and Toby Cooper, and so let's let's read the scripture together through them. Good morning, I'm Alexis. And I'm Toby. And today we're going to be reading from Ephesians 1, verse 15 to 23, and 2 Kings 6, verse 17. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but in also the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And Elisha prayed, Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Thanks so much, Toby and Alexis, for reading the scripture to us up there. <laughs> kind of interesting when someone's here and they're reading it up there. We're still halfway through this, aren't we? Yes. Hey, welcome. Uh, Pastor Rudy already said that, but I want to extend it as well. Uh, I'm Terry, one of the pastors here. And, um, well, this is, a, this is a time of year when many folks are transitioning and maybe they're checking out new church because they've moved. I just met a family moved here from Saskatchewan. And so if you're here this morning and that kind of describes you, uh, I just want to tell you next week is a really important Sunday to come. We're going to call it Vision Sunday. Uh, but it's just a, an opportunity when we start to roll out more of the plans we have for the year, as well as a little bit more about who we are, if you're interested. And it's always good for our regulars to hear that because it's a reminder of who God has called us to be. <clears throat> and so I want to encourage you on that. Um, I also want to just give a quick COVID-19 update for our church family. For, if you've been around us for a while, you'll know that uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 4 has been our piloting verse during the entire uh, series or during the entire COVID-19 pandemic. And it's, uh, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And that has been an, a guiding light for us. I'm hearing a little bit of feedback in the monitors, you guys. Um, and so uh, I want to just comment on that. It's easy to grow weary on that. It's easy to get tired. When we look out on the, on the world's uh, way they're doing things, there's people fighting, there's people upset, there's people interrupting the election, there's things going on in the world, and I don't believe that's what God has called his people to be about. And so I, up until now, you, you've never heard the word vaccination in this pulpit. And now today you hear it for the first time, but not because we're going to be ever wanting to check that. By the grace of God, the government of Manitoba has given us, the church, a dispensation 
of not having to be one of those groups that actually checks for proof of vaccination. And I, I rejoice in that. I and the leadership of our church never want to see a time come when we have to check vaccinations. And so that's why it's really important that we maintain this mask thing. We maintain the rules that the government has given us because we are living in a, a, a bit of a season of grace, I think. And so uh, would you respect others that are different than you? There are people that I know love dearly. They haven't been vaccinated. Others have. Everybody's got their reasoning, their processing. Give, give God's people time. And uh, I would just uh, appeal to you by the mercies of God, because we've all received that mercy, to, uh, to be patient with each other. And um, this coming Tuesday evening, the uh, board and the staff of our church are meeting, and we're meeting to talk about the big rocks in the jar. We're, we're going to meet to talk about uh, the continuing theme of how to become more and more a disciple-making church. But in the midst of talking about those big rocks in the jar, the smaller rock is COVID-19, okay? I want you to get that in perspective. Uh, we can still make disciples, and uh, we, we trust that we're about God's business in doing so. And so pray for the board and the staff as we meet on Tuesday, and then Wednesday, uh, the, the staff will be meeting on Wednesday as well, and we're going to be talking about how to reconfigure and maybe add some more chairs so we can actually have more people in this room. We can go up to a 50% capacity, and we're not quite there, so let's try to do that safely, and uh, let's try to do that in keeping with what our government has asked of us for now. And hey, in two weeks, I might be standing up here and telling you something different in terms of requirements, but uh, we're going to just pray it up and, and trust God that he'll lead us through that. So would you just join me in prayer as we uh, continue and get ready to hear the word of God? <clears throat> Father, we're so grateful uh, to be able to gather, and those that are online and for some reason aren't here, maybe they don't feel quite safe yet, or maybe they can't be here for other reasons. Lord, we just thank you for them too. And Lord, we're the body of Christ, and, and uh, we're, we're trying to really um, operate within your, your values, God, your, your core principles of life that we find in your word. We want to really maintain mutual respect and love and edification. So help us, God, with that. We don't all agree on the same things, but Lord, we're called upon to build our unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. And so we do that, Father, today. We declare that today in the name of Jesus. You, Lord Jesus, are the basis of our unity. And we thank you for the incredible mercy that you have shown us. Would you, would you watch over us and other churches, Lord? Would you watch over us? And we are excited about the year ahead. We pray a lifting of, of uh, this COVID thing, that the virus will disappear, that we will be healed as a culture and society. And Lord, that you might... Uh, bring us through this. And Lord, we are also praying for this election that you in your grace might overrule and see uh, the people in positions of leadership that you want there in this time of our lives. So we give that up to you. Open our hearts and the eyes of our hearts now to see what you have to teach us in your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Well, we've been looking at the subject of prayer all summer. We've gone through 10 different uh, uh, characters in the Bible and looked at their prayer lives. And today we land on the Apostle Paul. And uh, we're going to be looking at Paul in prison in Rome in A.D. 62 and how he wrote uh, the book of Ephesians 
back then and some of the things that he had to say about prayer. Pat and I were talking with somebody uh, this past week about how hard it is that when you wake up at night and you can't sleep and, and how much praying can get done in the middle of the night if you're not sleeping. And this person shared with us that they knew a man who when he wakes up at night and can't sleep, he doesn't pray, he reads the Bible. And he figures, he said, well, he figures if God's waking him up at night, he'll find out why, find out in the Bible, and then get back to sleep. And if it's the devil waking him up at night, nothing could bother him more than reading the Bible. So he's going to quit, quit bugging him. So I thought that was pretty good logic. But when we look at Paul's prayer in Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 3, we can tell right away when we read it, we're not talking about classic prayer. We're not talking about prayer the way that we often understand it. And uh, some time ago, I was in a series of sermons in this church, and we were talking about different kinds of prayer. And at the time, we identified that there was what we called circumstantial praying, and there was capacity praying. And if you were with us way back then, you'll know that circumstantial praying is the kind of praying we say when we say, Lord, change these circumstances for me. And capacity praying is when we say, Lord, change me for these circumstances. So grow my capacity to bear with what I have to deal with, Lord. That's the difference between circumstantial praying and capacity praying, kind of like the prayer of Jabez, enlarge my territory. And these two prayers are the prayers of Paul in Ephesians 1 and 3. They really are more capacity praying than they are circumstantial praying. I'm sure that if you were to get a manuscript of your praying over the last year, wouldn't that be interesting? If, if God just had this big machine that was just throwing out all the, the, the prayers of you, and then he printed it, and he gave you a hard copy of your praying all the past year. I think for me, there would be a whole bunch of repetition, first of all, which is good, as we heard last week from Dave Barden, the scripture in, in uh, Matthew 18, Luke 18, God wants us to persist in prayer. That's good. But I think, I think... A lot of my manuscript in prayer would be circumstantial praying more than capacity praying. I think that's the way we lean. We lean more to say, Lord, change these circumstances for my loved ones, for me, than, Lord, change me, get me ready, grow my capacity for honoring you more in whatever I face. But what we see in this scripture, and again, God does not condemn circumstantial praying. God wants us to bring every need to him. But one of the things we see when we talk about passages like we're looking at today is that in order for us to do a God-sized ministry, we have to have a God-sized heart. We have to have a God-sized vision and a God-sized capacity to enter into a God-sized ministry. And, and, and circumstantial focus and obsession keeps us from bigger, the deeper, the wider, and the longer things that God wants to do in and through us when we get fixated on circumstance. And so we are given, every once in a while in Scripture, these incredible prayers that take us to the deeper waters of living as a Christian. And, uh, and that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. 
that our desires might be sanctified, our lives simplified, our hearts amplified, our relationships clarified, and our resolve to know God fortified in this kind of praying. Now, one of the observations that we make uh, about the two prayers in both Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 3 is that both of them start with the words, for this reason, Ephesians 1.15 and 3.14. For this reason, I bow my knee before the Father. And he goes into the prayer. So you, you know that's a clue that something that is just spoken of and written of before is the reason why Paul goes to prayer for the Ephesians. And it has to do with these huge sections in both Ephesians 1 as well as 2 and 3 of the doctrine and the teaching that Paul has been teaching. So here's the deal, is that Paul understands that the the whole teaching that he's passed on in written form can be in the head, but now it needs to be prayed into the heart. It needs to be prayed into our experience, how we live every day of our lives. That's the biggest challenge that every one of us face. J.C. Ryle, the uh, first bishop of Liverpool, said it this way. He said, in his word, God reveals his will, and by prayer, we ask him to do it. So his word teaches us what truth is, but it's only through prayer that we get it prayed into ourselves, that we actually start to live from that truth. I love the way Mark Twain said it. It's not the parts of the Bible I don't understand that bother me. It's the parts I do understand. And indeed, that's what we're driving at here. How do we get to the deeper places? Many of you have had knowledge of God, of the Bible, of what is truth and and error, right and wrong, for years, since you were a child, perhaps. And yet you know, as I do, that, that... there's still places where that's not being lived on the basis of. Your knowledge of being a child of God, just now we sang these deep truths. Well, you've probably known that for a long time, but it takes sometimes an experience and an encounter with God in a special way. Sometimes it's in worship. Sometimes it's in fellowship with someone else demonstrating mercy and love towards you that you didn't think you deserved. Sometimes it's as someone prays over you And you start to get a hold of a different kind of knowledge of God that he wants us to have. And so capacity praying is what that is all about. This past week, Pastor Rudy and I were talking, and he he had found another quote by J.C. Ryle that is from a sermon he preached in 1877. Ryle, not not Rudy. And, um, And here's what it sounds like. It's an incredible quote. I just wanted to share it with you. Alas, how little fit for heaven are many who talk of going to heaven when they die. Well, they manifestly have no saving faith and no real acquaintance with Christ. You give Christ no honor here. You have no communion with him. You do not love him. Alas, what could you do in heaven? It would be no place for you. Its joys would be no joys for you. Its happiness would be a happiness into which you could not enter. Its employments would be a weariness and a burden to your heart. Wow. That hit me when I read it. It convicted me. I understand that the author is writing about someone who does not have saving faith, who's unconverted, but is it not convicting for us who read it? to understand and ponder what is my acquaintance with Christ? 
How much of my joy is found in Christ and how much of my joys and passions are found in lesser things? Are my employments in the kingdom, when I'm not employed by something or someone else, are the employments that I seek kingdom employments, Christ employments? Is that what fires me up? I need to keep praying this. You see, I know it all up here. I need to pray that into my heart. Capacity praying. And so Paul prays for the Ephesians and for us to adopt this kind of prayer for ourselves. And he he begins in verse 16. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And how is it that he prays? He prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Now, you're going to hear me be you hear me repeating myself. I was talking to some folks earlier before the service about how every once in a while I'll throw up a Greek word, and, and there's only a few. I bet you you can count on one hand how many times I throw out Greek stuff, but I think that some of the Greek words that I throw out and repeat over and over again are the, some of the most important ones, and today I'm going to be referring to another one, and it's found in the word knowledge in this verse. The most important word, I think, in this entire verse is knowledge. I love what uh, J.I. Packer said in his book, Knowing God. A little knowledge of God is worth more than a great deal of knowledge about God. This is what the, we're talking about, getting it from here down to here. And so Paul is writing here, and if you remember uh, some of the context of the first century, there was a heresy that was floating around the churches called Gnosticism. Gnosticism was this idea that really if you want to get really close to God, if you really want to understand salvation and have it really secure in your life, you'll, you'll get it through a secret kind of special knowledge. And so there was an exaltation of, of this and it became known as Gnosticism, a sect, a heresy. And Paul comes along and in Ephesians and in Galatians and Romans, he's talking at different times about, no, everything, all the fullness of God is found in Christ. You don't need this secret knowledge. You need Christ. And you just need a deeper encounter with Christ to take it from here down to here, and he will be all that you need. We just sang about it earlier in our worship. And so Paul confronts it, and, and in the word that he uses... The normal word for, for, um, for knowledge is gnosis. And Paul just adds a little epi prefix, epignosis, which is the knowledge upon, knowledge experientially learned, knowledge that is encountered, knowledge that is lived. You can read in a book all about skydiving until you're blue in the face, but you will not have epignosis about skydiving until you jump out of the plane and pull the chute, you'll see. And so epignosis is what Paul is talking about. And it's, it's a kind of knowledge that is more caught than it is taught. There are doctrines in the Bible. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul starts out by talking about blessed are you because you've got every spiritual blessing in Christ. He tells you, you were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. That's election. You know, I talk to many people that are going to stumble over gnosis, the knowledge of election. They can understand it sort of, but it kind of grates against them. It doesn't seem fair and all that stuff. 
But you're going to need epigenosis to understand the incredible mercy of God that set his love on you and chose you before the foundation of the world. You're not going to get it. It's going to be caught more than taught. And so that's a good prefix to the series this fall on Romans 9 to 11 as we talk about Israel, as we talk about we as Gentile believers grafted into this incredible vine called God and his mercy. And so Paul is talking about this kind of knowledge, and in the following verses, we, I'm just going to share a few places it's used in the New Testament. For example, in Ephesians 4.13, Paul says, till we all come to unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. Not just head knowledge about the Son of God, but an experiential encounter with the Son of God. In 1 Timothy 2.4, God wants all men to be saved and come to an epignosis of the truth. Not just a head knowledge again, but a real encounter and experience knowledge of the truth. 2 Peter 1.3, that his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness according to his knowledge, our knowledge of him who called us. We need to have an experiential knowledge. And then if we have it, going on in verse 8, he says, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus. I don't want to be ineffective and unproductive in my knowledge of the Bible or of Jesus. But epigenosis, this experiential knowledge, will help me to not be ineffective in that way. And so Christianity and the Bible can be studied like a textbook fashion, like, like a course in the college or university. Throughout history, there have many been, been many agnostics and atheists. Hitler knew the Bible. Khrushchev could quote the Gospel of John didn't help them at all. But one of the worst things anyone could ever do for their spiritual life is to study the Bible without the knowledge or the goal of knowing God through this. God, deliver us from any spiritual religious activity in this whole coming year at White Ridge Baptist Church that does not have its intent to know God. That's the goal, to know him. We just sang about it. So good to know him, to know him deeper, wider, stronger, bigger, higher than I ever thought he was. My capacity has to grow in love with him and for him. You see, the world is caught up in a different kind of knowledge. It's mostly knowledge about yourself. I was reading recently that the self-help, self-improvement industry is a $40 billion industry every year. It's you, it's, you're being told every day in different ways, you need to know yourself, you need to know your inner child of the past, you need to get to know your passions, you need to know what drives you, you need to pursue what makes you tick, you need to be you, the authentic you, and it's all about you, your roots, your likes, your goals. And I'm not opposed to self-understanding. Self-awareness is huge. And when you know someone who's not self-aware, you know it's huge. <laughs> but there's a way about uh, going about it that's wrong, and there's a way that's right. The wrong way is to just take God out of the picture. And to take out of the picture what Paul calls in verse 17, the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Without the Holy Spirit, you will not to come to an accurate understanding of yourself, nor of God. We actually stunt our growth when we exclude God. We do. 
We, we extunt our growth. Our, here's what one author said. Let me just uh, bring it up again for you. This guy, W.E. Bullinger, said, instead of breathing this life-giving air of heaven, their windows, those people that leave God out of the equation and trying to understand self, their windows are closed, their doors are shut, and they are asphyxiated with their own exhalation. They are breathing over again and again and their own breath from which all fatality is gone. You see, what, gee, what, what happens is we, we can't do that, a closed system. We just keep on breathing our own carbon dioxide, and we just keep on getting asphyxiated instead of having the life-giving air of God to say, this is who I created you in my image. In your mother's womb, I knit you. This is the person I have for you. This is the calling I have. This is the hope I have for you. That's what God wants for every one of us. Let's move on. We're going to look at these two verses mainly today. And he says that how we go about understanding and growing in this knowledge, this epigenosis, is this way. He says that you have the high eyes of your hearts enlightened so that you might know that what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. Now there's three things that he wants us to know in there. Three things that he's calling us to. Paul prays that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened so that we might know the hope to which he has called us, the riches of his inheritance for us, and the greatness of his power toward us. It's, it's like he says it's us-word, Paul says. God's power is us-word. He's for us. So let's just take a look real quickly at each of those. Number one, the hope to which he's called us. The most important thing about your past is that God called you, that God turned the lights on, that he enlightened your heart, that he awakened you spiritually. In Ephesians 2, 1, it says, For you, as for you, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you used to live, but God, who is rich in mercy, made you alive. And that's the most important thing about your past, your calling into God. And that gives you the hope of being with God. And so... It's not your childhood that's the most important thing about your past. It's not the education or lack of it that you had. It's not the family that you grew up in. It's the fact that one day, if you're a Christian today, one day God awakened you to him. That's the most important thing about your past. And that sets you on the hope toward the future that he has. And that's the second part of the, the riches of his glorious inheritance the most important thing about your future is not whether you will marry or not, whether you will be allowed to have children or not, whether you will make a whole bunch of money or not, whether you will retire earlier than you thought or not, and where you will live, how long you will live or not live. That's not the most important thing about your future. The most important thing about your future is the riches of his glorious inheritance that he purchased at the cross of Christ. Now, you, you have knowledge of that, but, but we don't tend to have epigenosis of that because it doesn't grip us and change the way we live enough. And then the third thing that he says is that the greatness of his power toward us who believe, the most important thing about your present is that God's power is with you to fulfill everything he has on his heart for you and through you. 
So the most important thing about your present is not the car you drive, not the house you live in, not the job you have. It's God's power to do for you and in you all that he wants for you, the best life you can ever live. The hope of our calling, the riches of our inheritance, the greatness of his, of his power for you. Aren't you glad that God is going to continue to hound you and pursue you and not leave you alone until these things are of more value to you than anything else? Like the treasure hidden in the field that Kevin referred to. Aren't you glad that God doesn't leave you alone? Do you remember that time in Israel's history when they had left Egypt after being slaves for 400 years? And they're wandering through the wilderness and they get to the Red Sea. And the Egyptians are closing in on them, Pharaoh and the army. And you know what, do you know what, the, do you know what the, the Israelites say? In Exodus chapter 14 and verse 12, these are the words they said. They said, leave us alone that we may go back and serve the Egyptians. <laughs> Isn't that, so glad God didn't answer that prayer. But that's, that's, leave us alone. Let me go back to what I, what, you know, the false gods, the, the crutches, the things that I turn. Leave me alone, God. Isn't it great that God doesn't leave us alone? He loves us too much for that. You know, we can do so much when we have the Holy Spirit. We can also quench the Spirit and put out His fire. We can grieve the Spirit. We can lie to the Spirit. We can test the Spirit. We can defile the temple of the Spirit. We can insult the Spirit. But we can also keep in step with the Spirit. We can also be filled with the Spirit. We can be taught by the Spirit. We can be called to walk in the Spirit. And we can live in that light of the Spirit's power. I read a story uh, several years ago, and I found it in my notes. I read a story about... A, uh, a community in Texas uh, that has school, one elementary school, and, they, and the school burned down. And, and in the midst of it, it was a terrible catastrophe. 263 kids were, were killed. And uh, there was hardly a family in that town in Texas pre-World War II that didn't have somebody that died. After the war, the town rallied and they decided they'd build the best school ever. And they built a school, and, it, and they boasted that they had the first sprinkling system ever created. They had the first sprinkling system that would put out fires if need be. And, uh, well, time passed, and after the post-war boom took over, things were growing so much they had to add to the school that they had built several years later. And as the contractors came in and started tearing out walls and ceilings, they discovered that the original sprinkling system had never been connected to the source. And that's a picture of what Paul's describing. He's gone into great detail in Ephesians 1, 1 to 14, about all these incredible riches that are ours in Christ Jesus. All these spiritual blessings that we have. And then he's going in, and for this reason, I bow my knee and I pray for you that, that, that you will have the spirit of wisdom and revelation to know these things that, that, that are true about you, Christian. But so often we live and don't even hook up to the source. We just live on the, uh, I guess this is as good as it gets, altitude of Christian living. 
Did you know that the Israelites that went into the promised land under Joshua did not fully inherit all that God had promised them through Abraham? <laughs> not, not even close. The closest they got to inheriting all the land of Canaan that God through Abraham had promised them to drive out the enemy, the, probably the closest was under David. And I think it's a picture of us as Christians that, that we also don't live nearly to the degree of all the blessings that are promised to us in Christ. Now I want you to know that Paul does not end his prayer there. He ends it here. He says, when he raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places for far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come, and he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over things, all things to the church. He, he's, he's ending the prayer on this incredible Christ-exalting litany. And the reason he's doing it is because he wants to make sure that the Ephesian Christians, after they hear about how much God loves them and is for them and, and how much he blesses them, he doesn't want them to think that it's all about them. He wants to remind them it's all about Christ. You could read, you could read verses 16 to 19 and all the blessings that the God the Father showers on us and end up being fixated on how much you are loved and how much you are blessed. And you'd be right in saying that you are loved and blessed. But God does not make much of you so that you can make much of you. God makes much of you so that you can turn around and make much of God. Right? That's called worship. Because we can forget about ourselves because now he's met every need that we have. And so let's pray together as we get ready to come around the Lord's table uh, this morning together as followers of Jesus Christ. And, and the table that's set before us and the little emblem of wafer and juice that you've got in your hand. There's more out there if you need it. Uh, this, this is for anyone who's a follower of Christ, who's received Christ, believes in Jesus, who died on the cross for our sins. And if you're at home right now and listening online, would you just go while we sing a song here and uh, get, get some bread and some cup and be ready to partake of the meal with us in a few minutes. And I just want to close uh, this poor moment in prayer before we have that song. Let's pray. Oh, Father, our God, I ask you that would you pour out your spirit of wisdom and revelation upon us that we might know you better. I pray that, Lord, that our hearts would be enlightened, that we might know the hope of our calling, the riches of our inheritance, and the great power that you have for us, oh God. Lord, increase our capacity for you, that, that our desires might be sanctified, that our lives might be simplified, that our hearts might be amplified, that our relationships might be clarified, that our resolve to press into you might be fortified. Father, keep us this year on an individual private level as well as on a corporate level. Keep us from any religious activity that does not have as its goal and intent the knowing of you better, more. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Julia. The goodness of Jesus. We, uh, we come to this table this morning because we want to make much of Jesus.
that's what the table exists for. It's just, we're just saying if you partake of this meal today in these wafers and this juice, what you're saying is uh, I make much of Jesus and I don't make much of myself. Now, I'm not saying you're denigrating yourself. I'm saying that what you bring to God for righteousness' sake, you call, like Paul did, filthy rags, or Isaiah, filthy rags. You, you come recognizing that there's nothing you can bring to this table. God did not ask you to bring anything to this table of your own righteousness. We don't make much of our own righteousness. It's, it's, it's worse than dung, Scripture says. No, we make much of Jesus and his righteousness. And we come boldly to the throne of grace this morning. We come boldly to this table recognizing that regardless of your track record as a follower of Christ in terms of the righteousness of your life, he is your righteousness. Your righteousness is in heaven right now. It's not touched by this world. And so you come in, in incredible gratitude it says in the scripture that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he gave thanks. He ate it and he said, do this, eat this in remembrance of me. Let's thank God for this bread and the cup. Father, we thank you now for this wafer, this bread. We thank you for this juice squeezed from grapes. We thank you, Lord, that it is our way and your, your way of telling us to remember your death. And so we remember what you did at Calvary on the cross. You died not for your sins. You had no sin. You are sinless, but you died for us. And we receive from you this day a reminder of that incredible grace gift. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. And now would you partake of the bread? If you can tear off the next little layer. Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. As often you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's proclaim the Lord's death. Amen. May the Lord bless you. Amen. Thank you. Lord, you've called us today to something deeper than where we are, to something better than what our experience is. You've called us to plug in more to, your, to you as the source. You've called us to, to trust more in your grace, to see more of your love, to see more of your power. Lord, and I pray just as Paul prayed for the church, just as Pastor Terry has prayed for the church, I pray also for our church. I pray for us that you would open our eyes to see all of that more, to see that you are good and that you are powerful and that you do love us and you have promised us all of these things and that because of that, as we see that more and more, I pray that you would then allow us to be more free just to live in that, to live in the joy of that, in the knowledge of that, in the freedom of that. And God, I pray that you'd bless each one of us as we go from here. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Have a wonderful day.